This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? I am good as always, Chad. What are you up to? Uh, I think long days for both of us, but I, I'm doing okay otherwise. <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, long day, but good day. Full of... Um, it, was, it was my day off, which somehow still was not my day off. Um, mm-hmm. I was still working my other jobs, so... <laughs> uh, but full of fun things anyway. I went roller skating, or rollerblading is what I did, with middle schoolers this evening, which was fun, <laughs> but... Uh, more physically demanding than I normally ask of myself, <laughs> but it was a good time. Yes, in fact, you you took painkillers before we yeah, I did. record because <laughs> you're know. old now. I, I am old, apparently. <laughs> I mean, it's been a good many years since middle school, but uh, we did have a slight change of plans with this week's episode. Everybody, we were going to cover this episode as well as the de- the delivery, and then we were like, "Oh, the delivery is a double episode, and it's an important episode." So we're waiting for the next episode to talk the next episode of our podcast to talk about the delivery, and so this is just going to be a single episode episode of our podcast. <laughs> it's confusing when you're talking about a TV show that has episodes on a podcast that also has episodes. But hopefully that was clear in at least some capacity. Uh, Before we get into it, we have a couple of thank yous. We have new reviews on Apple Podcasts from Dana's MacBook Pro (laughs) and (laughs) Mega B. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And new Facebook recommendations from Dana. I would bet my bottom dollar that that's the same Dana. And from Alex. So uh, thank you again to Dana and to Alex. And let's go ahead and get into it. So we are talking about the episode, The Manager and the Salesman. It immediately follows last week's Sabre. So the company has been bought, and now we're continuing that story. It aired on February 11th of 2010. Interesting, it was directed by Mark Webb, who is the director of the movies The 500 Days of Summer, which would have been just prior to this season of The Office. Um, And then he went on to direct the two amazing Spider-Man movies starring Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. So uh, another big name Hollywood director stepping in to do some work on the show, which is pretty cool. And it was written by Mindy Kaling. Joe Bennett, the CEO of Sabre, Sabre, (laughs) Sabre, is coming to visit Dunder Mifflin Scranton today. She is very unimpressed with the idea that there are two managers at Scranton. She asks Jim and Michael to decide what position they'll each take. After some back and forth, Jim ends up as manager and Michael as salesman. However, they're both unhappy with these positions and rally to switch back by the end of the day. Meanwhile, Dwight, with Ryan's help, is back on track for his diabolical plan to take down Jim. So let's talk a little bit about Joe because this is our first time to really meet her. She made an appearance in the weird Christian Slater introduction video in the last episode. Uh, so she's a CEO which means she answers to nobody. She is the boss person, which is pretty cool. Um, She's come to check out the place to meet everybody. We learn a lot about her or a fair amount about her in this episode. She's divorced. Uh, She kept the misses though, because it pisses off the the new wife or whatever she says. Uh, She's confident. She's self-assured in herself. She's a breast cancer survivor. 
Uh, she talks about how she had an over she oh, she had a childhood fear of flying, but now she has overcome that and actually has her own pilot's license. So she she is overcoming things. She's battling obstacles and emerging victorious. She's the kind of person who isn't going to take crap from anyone, and we see that a couple of times in the episode. The first thing I really get from her, and truly, some of her first lines are reprimanding well that might that might not be the right word but criticizing um this dual manager position Mm -hmm. she is not shy to say well that's not gonna last long Mm -hmm. oh okay what does that mean (laughs) and that kind of puts um michael and jim in an interesting position like okay what does that mean for our careers what does it mean for our jobs um she's not shy at all no she just comes in the room and she's got this big personality and this big energy and two big dogs and she's just a (laughs) big presence and she's very southern too and so that that southern accent is obviously there but it's just like a, a an all too familiar southern attitude <laughs> I, I i feel like i know people like this around here uh, but what's interesting is as self-confident and self-assured as she is she really doesn't seem too interested in others at least not at this branch it's like she has this she has this prepared acquisition speech like okay I buy the company, I show them the video, I show up the next week or however long it's been, I call them into the conference room and cool, they get the manual and they get my book because of course they get my book. That's really important to me that I throw myself at them in some way. But she basically gives a speech that sounds prepared and then she leaves. She doesn't care what questions they have. Uh, there's, there's multiple questions at the end of this presentation she's giving, but she ignores them and walks out. She is, as I said, literally the boss and doesn't have to answer to anyone. And so she's not not having it. She's she's not answering to anybody else. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well, that she gave this speech and then walked out of the room. People raised their hands because they had questions and she was not taking questions. She was done. And I also made a note that she was a bit condescending. She assumed that these people, these northerners didn't know where Tallahassee was. She says, where's that near Mars? Mm-hmm. I believe it's Kevin, of course, who says, no, near Texas. Okay, no. so maybe he, or it's it's in Texas. I think so it's actually Michael who says that, which is even better. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> it, is, it is Michael, that's right. But the vast majority of the people, I believe, would know where mm-hmm. Tallahassee is. And she's just a little, I don't know. I, I, I don't know quite the word to peg on Joe, especially at this point, but she definitely shows some condescending and, and commanding uh, attitudes. But despite that, I have to confess, I do like her. Um, maybe it's just because I like Kathy Bates, but there, there's some sort of spunk she has, some sort of level of boisterousness that makes me like, okay, I, I, I like this person. You're a different face, but it's not like you're Charles and you're obnoxious and I don't like you. You are in charge and maybe you're a little bit rude, a little bit condescending at times, but I, I think she's really interesting so far and I'm excited to see what more she brings to the table, especially if she's going to be around in any capacity. She's definitely interesting. She mm-hmm. definitely um, brings a new energy to the office. Right. It's not the same sort of relationship that Michael had with David Wallace, not even slightly. She yeah. seems to be the person who will be less tolerant of Michael's antics, whereas David was tolerant and almost understanding to a fault. So. That's Joe. That's Joe. And um, how that relates to the office, well, she walks in and Michael, almost immediately, some of his first words to her 
are insults to her. And she is not the kind of person to take that sitting down. Uh, Michael says, I don't know how things work in Florida, which from your description sounds like a colorful, lawless swamp. (laughs) But here it takes two men to do one job, where in Florida it might take one very strong woman to do such a job. Uh, Kind of one and a half, if not two insults right off the bat. So she doesn't seem to take a liking to Michael. She doesn't say anything to the contrary, but there's definitely that vibe of, okay, who's this guy and what's his deal? Because Michael definitely has a deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to anyone new to his personality, it's going to take some, some getting used to. Uh, she seems to have, I mean, kind of a good idea of what he's about, but it's definitely still kind of a shock, it seems like. What's, what's interesting to me is that Michael, in that moment, it, he's supposed to be, along with Jim, sort of defending this notion that Dunder Mifflin had of instituting a two co-manager system. But in saying, you know, here it takes two men to do one job, where in Florida it might take one very strong woman to do such a job, it makes the pair of them sound incompetent. Like, yeah, it, it, we're a little bit slower up here, so it takes more of us to do less. It's sort of what it sounds like. It's very poorly phrased on his part. And Michael also assumes in the moment when, when Joe does suggest, okay, I think one of you should stay manager and the other is going to go back to sales. Michael just says, okay, I will gladly accept the manager position. And there's not any real reason for him to assume he's going to get the position except for the fact that he was manager first. But Jim is very resistant to this. He, he, I mean, and he, he should be. He should get a legitimate shot to, to prove his capabilities as manager. And so they go off. She says, I'm going to let this marinate <laughs> and doesn't let them discuss it further. And it's then that Pam reveals something interesting that the sales people in Sabre or Dunder Mifflin Sabre don't have caps on their commission, and there's apparently some other sort of additional uh, salary incentives. So as a salesman, Jim could potentially make more than he would if he were to stay as manager. So Jim's like, okay, well, that's a pretty sweet deal. Believe it or not, I am actually in this for the money. So he sees the job to Michael, but it, it doesn't last for very long. Yeah, Michael is happy as manager, Jim is happy as salesman, and Michael kind of walks in to where Oscar is and kind of brags, like, yeah, we're we're both, like, we figured this out. And Oscar says, yeah, well, Jim should be happy. Um, he's going to make a ton more money mm-hmm. um, because Sabre doesn't have a cap. And oops, now Michael's super jealous because I want more money. Maybe Jim should be manager. And so now he's kind of... He's kind of caught. And so he persuades Joe then to make him salesman. And Joe says, you know what? I will take your discretion on this because you are the senior person here. I mean, you've been manager longer and you've been salesman longer. So I will take your word. Um, and so she switches them. So she, she, she assigns Michael as salesman and Jim as manager. Jim, while then like sort of taking a, a pay cut, okay, at least he's manager. At least he has a job. like in charge and we see michael struggle with being a subordinate which he has not been in scranton ever that we've seen um and for a very long time so he does not take to being bossed around by jim well at all if we thought he didn't co-manage with 
with Jim Well, he definitely doesn't play subordinate to Jim Well at all. <laughs> so Michael uses his his seniority to his advantage in order to get this job as salesman instead of manager. And I, I wondered for a moment, is it unfair of him? Um, because Michael's kind of a jerk about it in the moment. He says, have fun signing my commission checks, boss. He, he thought that what Jim did was entirely malicious in his intent. And in a way, it kind of was. Jim didn't seed it because he thought Michael would be the better manager. He seeded the, the job because he thought he could make more money as a salesman. So is it unfair for Michael to sort of flip that on him with his, his own authority? I don't really think so. I mean, like I said, Jim seated the position because of the money, so why shouldn't Michael attempt the same thing, you know? But in doing so, in in using his authority as a sort of senior member of Dunder Mifflin, he relinquishes his authority. You know, it's like it's like he's got a a power-up in a video game, like a one-time power-up, and he uses it and it helps you out, but then afterwards you're without the power-up and you get to a hard level and you wish you had that power-up again. Maybe that's not a very good comparison or analogy, but it sort of makes sense in my head, at least. Michael had the authority. He used it in order to get what he wanted, and now he no longer has the authority and is purely answering to Jim. It's like he's the victim of his own trap. Mm -hmm. He wanted the money, and he wanted, well, really the only reason he would become a salesman again is because it would be a pay bump. But it's like he didn't think about the fact that, oops, now I have to respond to Michael or to to Jim, which I don't know if he just doesn't know himself or if he didn't think about the fact that he's not going to do that well. We see him just kind of, we see his age. Um, he makes a sale and announces it to everyone. Apparently, that's really old school. Dwight says it's not 1992 anymore. And he kind of gets laughed at a little bit for that. and. We see him kind of looking in his old office where Jim is sitting. Phyllis is stinky because of some meds she's taking. And um, he sees Jim all cornered up in his closed office and, and, and misses, he just misses being a manager. And so eventually, Michael and Jim agree that they should, should switch back. Jim definitely still wants the money. He wants to sit next to his wife. He wants his old position back. And Michael wants to be manager. Joe, however, is just so fed up with this when they approach Joe and say, okay, so we're going to switch back. She's like, stop talking to me about this. What do I have to do? Fire you two and find a manager who needs less managing, <laughs> which is just, yeah, I mean, I guess I get where she's coming from. Like, it's been a big discussion, but I also think that she should maybe take this a little bit more seriously because doesn't she want the, bar the, the branch to be managed by someone who is right for the job? And doesn't she want not a head salesman, but kind of a head salesman, uh, who, I don't know, I, this is an important decision, and it seems to me like she kind of brushed it under the rug, like, you two just figured out it'll be fine, when, realistically, there would be somebody, I think, better fit for each job. Well, I just don't think that she understood exactly, or she still doesn't understand exactly who Michael is, the kind of person he is, and so all she sees is what is on paper, which is that Michael has been with the company for a very long time. What is it, 14, 15 years at this point? That, somewhere around there, because I think it was his 12-year anniversary, at least his manager, whenever Michael Scott Paper Company happened. Maybe. I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm not positive on that. But anyways, it's been a long time, and so that's what she sees on paper, is that Michael was a very successful salesman on paper, 
And because of that, he was promoted to manager and his branch has been very successful and he's been doing both for a very long time. So in saying, hey, Michael, I trust that because you have worked here for a very long time and you have gone through the, both of these positions that you know where you are a better fit and where Jim is a better fit. And so to her, it's as simple as that. Michael's been there a long time. I trust him. But she doesn't know Michael. And so Michael uh, isn't that trustworthy in knowing what he is capable of and knowing what others are capable of. Michael knows his people, but he is also selfish and he is also impulsive and even vindictive in some ways. And really, I, w- I would say what Michael does as far as getting the sales job out from under Jim's nose is kind of vindictive because of what he thinks Jim did to him in the first place. So does that make sense? It's just sort of a, a counter argument. Like, I don't think she's necessarily brushing it under the rug. She just, on paper, Michael should be more trustworthy in order to make that decision, but she just doesn't know that he's actually not. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. At least Michael is honest when he realizes that the sales life is no longer for him. He can't answer to somebody else um, that he used to be the boss of. He can't sit in a smelly work environment. He can't go without having every single toy on his desk and shelf space. Uh, so he he does confront Jim and he says, you know, I made a mistake. Let, let's fix this. And so they, they do get it fixed. And man, I got to say, it is so nice seeing Jim back in his old desk taking his jacket off for the first time in a long while and even uh, getting back to some of his old antics for a little bit there at the very end. It it is nice to sort of be done with that storyline. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of like coming home a little bit. Mm -hmm. There is one more Michael thing I wanted to mention. We see Aaron helping him move his toys, as you mentioned, to his or to Jim's old desk, to his sales desk. He's using Aaron to help, except, wait, she's not your assistant anymore. Well, technically, she never was. She's a receptionist, but he kind of treated her as an assistant. Okay, so she's not your receptionist. She's now, she now responds to Jim. Mm -hmm. And Michael does not like that. Jim calls to Michael, you got to do something. You can't just sit there. And Michael doesn't like that either. I mean, he's just so used to having Aaron help him out. And now he doesn't have her anymore. And that was an interesting dynamic. And Jim, I mean, good for him. Now that he is the sole manager, he can finally sort of control Michael the way he always wanted to when they were co-managers. <laughs> uh, if I am going to be the boss of you by your own doing, then gosh darn it, you're going to do some work. And uh, that, good for him for trying to keep Michael productive when nobody else has been able to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I just love the the prank on Dwight there at the very end. He just drops the tie in the coffee cup because Dwight's being annoying. So we're back. It's so simple and so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, going on to Dwight, uh, it's interesting to me. Th- there's not a whole lot about this in this episode, but he sort of gains favor in the eyes of Joe very early on. When she first walks in, she addresses him and says, so do you always not stand up when a lady enters the room? And he says, well, I am treating you the same way I would treat a man for whom I would also not stand unless it was the president or Judge Judy. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, Okay, if he respects Judge Judy, fine with me. Uh, but Joe says, I like that. She She's impressed by his insistence on treating her the same as he would anybody else. And that's sort of 
what we're sort of learning about Joe is that that's all she's ever really wanted was to to be afforded the same respect that uh, men are given in her immediate vicinity. And we, we sort of hear a little bit more about that in the deleted scenes. Also, the second sort of Dwight bit is the diabolical plan. Of course, he and Ryan pick back up on that. I know Chad doesn't want to <laughs> talk about that. He hates a diabolical plan, but I will talk about it. This time, the plan is through the IT guy, Nick. And granted, I don't like this this particular branch of the plan um, because it's really, really kind of evil. Uh, they tell him that Jim is molesting people via the internet and that they need his computer password to stop him. Nick suggests that they call the cops because that's super illegal. Um, Dwight says the cops called us. No, they didn't. <laughs> but either way, not cool to tell someone that someone's molesting people when they're not. So, yeah, don't do that. But that's that's sort of where they are right now. It didn't go very far. Nick isn't isn't willing to help. So, uh, yeah. Well, by the end of the episode, they feel like they're more or less successful too, Ryan and Ryan and Dwight, because it's it's Jim getting the sole manager position over Michael that really sort of lights this fire under Dwight. Um, you you see him just glaring in, and it's like this is Jim accomplishing what Dwight has been trying since season three with the coup when he tried to take Michael's job, and now here he is. Yeah. Michael has been shuffled out among the normal people and Jim is the sole manager. So that that's like a huge strike against Jim in Dwight's eyes. It really irritates him. And so they, they do start to to meet together, him and Ryan. And it's, it's strange. They, they both threaten him. Um, they, they still don't get what they want, but they, they threaten Nick. And I, I just got to say Nick or not Nick, Ryan and Dwight is just such a strange pairing, which I, I, I like in that, that. That's something about this I do like is that every once in a while we'll get a really interesting pairing of characters that we don't normally get. And so we've got Dwight and Ryan. They're, they're literally opposite sides of the spectrum. Dwight is hands-on. He's homemade. He's rough and rugged. Ryan is a hipster city boy who is more interested in having things done for him than doing it himself. Like even his diabolical plot ideas are stolen from movies. So really just interesting to see the two of them sort of bounce off each other because you don't see that very often. Moving on maybe to Andy and Aaron. <laughs> Yet again, very little to no progress being made on their front. Andy, so it's around Valentine's Day. Andy's giving out Valentine's Day cards to everyone in the office. He only really wanted to give one... For to Aaron, but he didn't want to seem, quote, too eager. Uh, it's taken like three and a half years for you to ask her out, dude. I mean, not, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not too eager. It's okay. But he doesn't want to appear too eager. So he gives Aaron a cute little Snoopy card, uh, which he actually did put, th- put thought behind. Um, he thought, you know, birds, like his uh, 12 Days of Christmas birds, okay, there's something there. He thought that, that maybe there would be a similarity and whatever. So he got that to her, but he needed to get everyone else a card as well. So he just picked out a random assortment of cards. He accidentally gives Kelly a super romantic (laughs) wordy card, which was just like this beautiful expression of love. So Kelly, of course, being Kelly, (laughs) thinks that Andy is head over heels in love with her. And she turns it into like this rom-com movie plot where the dorky guy that you never looked at twice is secretly this passionate 
lover and just like turns it into this crazy plot. So that sounds about right. It's funny to me that Kelly gets so into it because literally two episodes ago in Secret Santa or three episodes ago in Secret Santa, her Christmas wish from Santa was I want the photographer who was Ryan. And that's been her pursuit for a long time, aside from that brief stint with Daryl. And now that Andy shows even just a smidgen of interest, and he's not really, she just thinks he is. She's like, okay, Andy and me, it's got to be a thing because he likes me. So yeah, I'm into it too. It's like, uh, what flavor of the month, whatever, whatever is into her or whatever she likes. I mean, it's go gung ho after it. And so Ryan seems to be forgotten in her eyes and she flirts with Andy throughout the episode. He doesn't really know what's going on until it's revealed that he gave her a super sort of sexy letter. Um, and it ends the episode with him emailing everybody. And then because the email wasn't enough, reading the email out loud to everybody saying, just so you know, I do not like you in any way. Like, just because you got a Valentine's Day card for me does not mean that I like you in any way. Phyllis says, you don't even like us as friends? He says, no, you guys are my, my best friends in the whole world. I just mean I don't like like you. <laughs> Oscar says, what are we, five? <laughs> and this, this scene is extended in deleted scenes, which actually changes the outcome a little bit. But in the, the context of the episode, uh, what it ends with is, no, Kelly, I do not have a crush on you. I do have a crush on somebody else. And that's all I'm going to say about it. And so Aaron, who had been sort of bummed out by Andy's apparent interest in Kelly, has a talking head saying, well, turns out he wasn't interested in her at all. And she's hopeful again, thinking maybe he he does still have some sort of special feeling for me. So we're still really no further than we started with these two, but that's the way it is. <laughs> and I think the one last thing I wanted to say about Andy was he tries to give Angela a card and she refuses, which is interesting. Why? You're the one that cheated on him. Why would you refuse a card? But an interesting dynamic between the two of them. We haven't seen them interact in quite a while. That's true. Uh, getting into funny stuff. We've got the cold open to start with. Uh, <laughs> so it's the time of year. We mentioned Valentine's Day cards. We didn't really. It's not Valentine's Day yet. Uh, but it's the the week or so leading up to it. And it's also the week leading up to the 2010 Winter Olympics, which were in Vancouver. Uh, so Michael and Dwight are on the phone uh, with a hotel in Vancouver where Michael is supposed to have had a reservation for the first week of the Olympics. But the hotel can't find his reservation, which he has apparently had for three years, according to him. Uh, so they're going back and forth. The person on the phone seems to think that Michael is faking having a reservation so that he can get a last minute room. And he says, I've always heard that British Columbia is a very nice place, but I'm not getting that from this conversation. And then lo and behold, Dwight finds the confirmation number amidst Michael's affirmations. Uh, he, he finds the confirmation. And sure enough, Michael, there it is. There's a reservation. She apologizes. And she says, how can I help you? And he goes, oh, good. Thank you. I would like to cancel this reservation, please. <laughs> so all this effort to find a lost reservation only to then cancel it. <laughs> Very Michael. And on top of that, there will be a fee right. to cancel it. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned the Valentine's Day card. It's a, uh, 
it's a Woodstock and, and Snoopy card. Aaron says, oh, a bird and a dog. Andy says, yeah, well, it's, it's Snoopy and Woodstock. And she says, you named them? Andy says, oh, well, Charles Schultz did. I thought it was relevant because I got you those birds for Christmas, remember? <laughs> uh, I just thought it was funny that she, she's so innocent and sweet and very naive and thought that Andy just cared enough about these cartoon <laughs> pets to name them, which is really cute. When Michael and Jim are trying to convince Jim about keep, well, it's actually after they have failed to convince her to keep the co-manager positions, they are then trying to decide who's going to take which job. And Michael says, I humbly accept the management position. Jim says, why, why would you just say something like that? Why would you automatically assume that you're going to get the job? And Michael responds, because, well, Jim, where I'm from, two types of folk, those who ain't and those who are knee high on a grasshopper. Which type ain't you ain't? Y'all come back now. <laughs> Which is complete nonsense. There's probably some sort of typical Southern phrase in there somewhere or two or three of them that are mishmash together but ultimately what michael is saying is nothing <laughs> i tried to like decipher that with my southern speaking knowledge and um i got a very little yeah i have no idea what knee yeah. high on a grasshopper is supposed to be <laughs> it's supposed to be like young young people i thought yeah oh, okay that makes sense but but it doesn't make sense in context I love this because uh, it's a bit of a throwback for me as well. So Michael decides to start using the word manage and manager a lot around Joe so that when she thinks of a manager, she thinks of him. Mm -hmm. This reminded me of Kelly's, Charles, you wanted me? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> like subliminal messaging. Um, Charles, you wanted me? So Michael's saying like, um, I think I can manage that, you know, and stuff like mm -hmm. that around Joe. Um, and I just liked that that parallel and about that he says camel cigarettes did the same thing with joe camel by making him look like a penis i can't even go near a cigarette now without thinking of a penis and vice versa <laughs> i i looked up joe camel because i i mean i was not familiar honestly i don't smoke and i i guess they had sort of gotten rid of the heavy cigarette marketing by the time we were sort of growing yeah. up and so i looked him up and I mean, he looks like a camel, so I don't know exactly what Michael's seeing, but uh, apparently he can't go to cigarettes anymore because of it. Or penises. Or penises. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about how Pam actually read the Saber Handbook, luckily for Jim, and uh, how Jim could make more money as a salesman. So when Oscar tells Michael that, Saber has no cap on commissions, he can make a lot more money in sales. Michael asks, where did you get that information? Oscar says, manual. Michael, Manuel who? <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of one of my favorite moments from WALL-E, the Pixar movie, uh, when he, the, the captain picks up the operation manual. And obviously they haven't read in a long time because they've been on this ship for 700 years. And he says, it, he reads it, Manuel. Manuel and he's used to electronics too not an actual book and this is a book and he says Manuel relay instructions <laughs> and I, I think of that every time I hear the name Manuel it's like the first thing that pops into my head so that that went through my head again when Michael made that same <laughs> word switcheroo Manuel it's funny Michael is again trying to he, he's sort of trying to self-sabotage himself on purpose. Um, he, he says, I would be terrible for the management manager position. He says, I'll sleep in my office. I'll sexually harass people. And I, I couldn't 
help but find the irony in that. He's self-sabotaging himself by telling the truth. <laughs> and <laughs> it, we've got multiple examples of both of those things, sleeping in his office and sexually harassing people happening throughout the entire course of the show so far. And so I couldn't help but wondering, is this a moment of self-awareness or <laughs> self-ignorance? Like, do you know that that's literally like 85% of what you do, Michael, is sleep in your office and harass people? So much of the time, I'm like, do you know <laughs> that you do this? Are you actually self-aware or are you just, I don't know. Probably my favorite little bit in this episode is when uh, Ryan and Dwight have met outside and they're planning their diabolical plan. And Ryan asks Dwight, did you see Saw? Dwight says, of course I see Saw. Mose and I see Saw all the time. <laughs> Ryan, no, the movie. Did you see the movie Saw? And Dwight says, oh, yeah, great film. Almost as much fun as going on a seesaw. <laughs> and I just love that imagery. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part about that, too, is that Ryan doesn't, like, get frustrated with me. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to Dwight. <laughs> and he, he says, no, uh, the movie. Did you see the movie Saw? He, he's very just matter-of-fact about it. He doesn't get frustrated, which I, I think takes the joke over the top. Um, but in the same sort of interactions, it's just a little bit later when they're sitting on a bench, Dwight says, the new IT guy, Nick. Ryan says, Nick, Dwight, I think he is the key. He's very trusting. He's looking for friends. He has been given an awesome amount of power and does not know how to wield it. Ryan says, like Frodo. <laughs> Dwight gets frustrated. He says, why don't you just let me handle the Tolkien references? Okay, dumb jock. <laughs> Ryan says, well, he's, it's like he's trying to prove himself. Well, I think he could be corrupted like Gollum. And once again, Dwight has to put him in his place. Smeagol was corrupted and became Gollum. <laughs> if I had to, you know, classify Ryan as one thing, I do not think it would be a dumb jock. No, not so at all. <laughs> not, not so much. I, I feel like that's almost Dwight's, it's like one of his two go-to insults. You're either a like a city bumpkin uh i'm trying to remember who exactly he called a bumpkin because we talked about how it was funny that he's a bumpkin by definition but he considered the opposite to be yeah. true do you remember i remember the conversation yeah. i don't remember who i don't remember for sure either but then his other insult i think oh oh was it isabel oh yeah yeah yeah. he was he was talking about isabel yeah. in niagara good yeah um and then the other one is dumb jock i feel like he he says the same thing about jim sometimes is mm -hmm. oh you're just a dumb jock you're just some guy who's some guy who's interested in sports and that's all you are uh yeah, yeah. just one of his typical things also ryan dwight and nick when they're threatening nick to appear menacing ryan tries to crush an empty soda can it takes two hands um and then <laughs> dwight um does appear menacing when he crushes an apple one-handed. Yeah. That, I can't eat. That's just so impressive to me. <laughs> That's got to be rigged. That was so cool. Andy, moving on to him. When Joe and her dogs first enter the office, these dogs are like large. Are, are they Dobermans? I think Dobermans are, I don't remember. I think they're Great Danes. Great Danes, that, that seems more accurate. Um, Maybe. But these huge dogs enter the office and make a beeline for Andy's crotch. And they just, <laughs> I, I, to, to say it indelicately, they just shove their noses in, their, in his crotch. 
And Joe says, oh, they love a good crotch. Like, oh, those are good boys, right? They love a good crotch. And she says, you should take that as a compliment. And Andy just goes, oh, I do. And then Aaron just like <laughs> grins at him. <laughs> and he sort of nervously grins back. Like, what is that supposed to mean? Oh, yes, you've got a good crotch. <laughs> got a good one. <laughs> And there's a couple other times in the episode where the the dogs make an appearance sniffing Andy's crotch still. Uh, namely, during a talking head that Aaron has. Um, it's after she has read the the card that, it, that Andy gave to Kelly about how, you know, I shouldn't be surprised that Andy went after Kelly because she's awesome and Andy's a playboy and of course he should be. And the whole time he, he she's talking about how attractive and how wantable Andy is these dogs are just like going to town on Andy's crotch. <laughs> it's a fun uh, dichotomy. Upon being reinstated as manager, finally the last time, uh, Michael has Kelly help him move him back into his office. She says, okay, we've got your space heater, your humidifier, your dehumidifier, your fan, your foot fan, and your food dehydrator. Michael asks, Aaron, what about my keyboard? And Aaron kind of smiles and hits a button on an electric keyboard. And it's a little tune. And then she says, oh, how about some bossa nova? <laughs> she hits another button, another key. And it's like this MIDI keyboard. Dun, 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 dun. And it's kind they of just sort like, of sit there, groove. And they like wag their fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a silly moment. And it's just nice to like, Michael's just so happy to be back in his spot. I had one more Andy moment after he, he he's reading this email that he sent out to everybody because he can't just let them read the email. Um, he signs it off. Yours in professionalism, Nardog. <laughs> it's, there's another oh, dichotomy wow. there. Professionalism, Nardog. Those, those <laughs> aren't the same thing. And I guess my last one is the last thing of the episode, I, I believe. Um, after a long day of dethroning Jim, they're entering the elevator and Dwight and Ryan decide to grab a drink to celebrate their victory. But by the time they leave the elevator, they're already arguing because, again, they do not get along. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Dwight, all we hear is, because martini bars are pretentious. No, thank you. <laughs> Ryan says, well, I'm sorry that I don't want farm boy swill like you do. Dwight says, it's not farm boy swill, it's beet vodka and it's delicious. <laughs> Ryan says, I'm not interested in anything I have to make myself. I just love their, like, they're so on the same team when it comes to Jim, but they really would not get along in real life. No. As we see, it takes some, I think Dunder Mifflin's on the second floor of this office mm -hmm. building, and by the time it took them to right. <laughs> get to the first floor, they're already enemies again. My last sort of moments, they're all having to do with the same sort of thing. Um, Kelly's full response to reading this card that Andy gave her. Uh, she says, I guess Andy likes me. I never thought of him in that way. But I guess in most romantic comedies, the guy you're supposed to be with is the one you never thought of in that way, which we talked about a little bit earlier. But then she finishes with, you might have even thought he was annoying or possibly homosexual. <laughs> and uh, Just Andy. Yeah. And then Meredith's response to the card uh, to Andy is says, we all saw the Valentine you gave her. Believe me, if I got that card, we'd be in the bathroom doing it right now. And Andy's disgusted. Uh, that, that, that sort of leads him to writing the email. 
Uh, but then one last thing about Meredith, and it, it's not really funny, but it makes me laugh. I don't know. Maybe you'll say I'm weird. But when Andy is passing out the cards to everybody at the beginning of the episode, he tosses the card for Meredith at her, and it sort of hits her in the neck and gives her a little paper cut on her neck. And she freaks out about it. She has a talking head. She says, yeah, I have this thing about men cutting or threatening to cut my throat. Don't try to cut my throat. <laughs> it's just like... Uh, I think a lot of people have issues with people trying to cut their throat, you know, like it's not yeah. a thing that really needs to be said. You're not like that's that's normal. Yeah, it's not a it's unique not a character thing. trait. Yeah. We did get a number of deleted yes, scenes for this episode, uh, like 10 minutes worth, I think. Mm -hmm. First, Michael describes his love of the Olympic <laughs> game curdling. He loves that the men sweep the ice and the discs float magically over the ice and there are no winners and no losers. Just poetry. Just poetry. <laughs> curdling <laughs> for real though curling is the best and so michael's not wrong <laughs> <laughs> he's not wrong except he's very wrong <laughs> he's not wrong but he's very wrong yes that is an accurate way of summing that up <laughs> um <laughs> michael and jim enter the conference room where joe is sort of set up shop uh to talk about this whole co-manager thing and joe compliments him he says you know I, I get it you are tall and thin talking to jim and you're dark and solid and so Jim says, oh, well, cool. So it's okay to keep doing the whole co-manager thing then. She just says, no, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so she's complimentary <laughs> of them, but it's just like, no, of course, it doesn't mean I've changed my mind. I'm just letting you know you, go you, you two look good together. <laughs> that's it. Joe in the conference room explains why her autobiography is called Take a Good Look. She says that the previous job or that a previous job she held at Kodak wasn't taken seriously. Um, she wasn't taken seriously as a young, attractive member of the board. So she strode into the boardroom wearing nothing but a bra, underwear, and heels, and told them that if this is all you see, then take a good look. Michael said that he would never have done that to her. He's nothing if not not sexist. <laughs> if you have to think about that one, you don't need to think about it. Jim says that that's maybe setting the bar a little bit low. Uh, Michael then retorts that the only time he sets the bar low is in limbo. Okay. So that's like, there's a lot in that deleted scene. Yeah. Just unpack all of it. It's that. like, I, I get your feeling disrespected, Joe, but is that really the appropriate response? <laughs> and yeah, it's a cool catchphrase or name for a book, but then what were the immediate repercussions of you walking into a business meeting in your underwear? I don't know. We don't have the full story. We just have the cool tagline. So I don't know. It just says, it does say a little bit about the kind of person she is and what she thinks of herself. Um, yeah. Anyways, there is a little bit more on the word association we mentioned earlier. Michael says, yeah, I used it as a kid too, by working in ice cream in every conversation I had with my mother. And she eventually got sick of it. She said, Michael, if you don't stop saying ice cream, I'm going to kill you. And for some reason, that made her feel bad. So she went and she ended up buying him ice cream. And she's, he says, so it works. <laughs> I like this one. It's a Ryan talking head. He says, you know, I say I'll do all these things like work with Dwight on a diabolical plot or watch all the Michael Moore movies. And then I don't know, I lose interest and I bail. I just got to stick with one of them, you know? I'm looking forward to this plot making me a better person. <laughs> like, I get 
get it. You want to stick with things you say you'll do, but maybe ruining someone's life is not the one to stick with. Yeah, and, and not the one to make you a better person either. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe go watch movies. Yeah. So after Jim cedes the job to Michael, we have an extended version of the scene where Michael says, oh, wow, it really works. If you visualize something, it'll come true. And so he closes his eyes and just sort of sits there for a second. He says, I'm visualizing Cheryl Crow as the musical guest on SNL. And the camera turns to the crowd and it shows me. And also, I'm her boyfriend. And then he opens his eyes and goes to his computer and starts checking TV listings to see if it worked. <laughs> Always the optimist. Yeah, yeah. Michael, uh, quote, worked really hard on frozen orange juice popsicles. <laughs> you can tell he has a lot of time to kill when he's um, a salesperson. He says, do you know how long it took me to freeze those? I mean... About as long as it takes to freeze orange juice. Um, but the office has stolen all of them. Meredith taunts him. She says, what are you going to do? You can't fire us anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's where they are with Michael now. Yeah, it's like the, they're ganging up against him because they can now. And there aren't any real yeah. immediate repercussions at his hand, at least. Uh, but my favorite part about uh, what took Michael so long to freeze the orange juice? I, I don't remember who's, who says this. I think it was Oscar. Who says, yeah, it took mm-hmm. you so long because you kept opening the door to check and see if they were frozen. <laughs> so they're not going to freeze if you don't insulate the space in which they're to be frozen. Uh, yeah. So he's just over eager and then he doesn't get them anyways. So I mentioned earlier in our discussion that there is an extended version of the scene where Andy reads out the email to everybody about the Valentine's Day cards he gave to people. Uh, that sort of changes the outcome of things. Uh, versus how it's presented in the episode. So uh, in this extended scene, Pam sort of tries to give Andy an alley-oop whenever uh, he says, you know, I I don't like you, Kelly. I'm sorry. I actually have a crush on someone else. She says, oh, maybe it's the person you gave 12 drummers drumming for Christmas. Very heavily hinting. Obviously, you have a crush on Aaron. And Andy, instead of taking this alley-oop and turning it into some sort of gesture towards this girl that he's been itching after for however long at this point he says how dare you you are crazy that baby of yours is squirting weird hormones into your brain it's someone who doesn't even live here and so kelly goes off crying says that andy owes her for this aaron goes off to comfort her um and then andy has a talking head about how he paid kelly 50 dollars to not love him anymore it's that easy but yeah instead of in this version of the scene, instead of Aaron sort of having hope about Andy still possibly having an uh, interest in her, this seems to shut that down because he actually immediately denies having any sort of crush on her specifically. So I don't know. Again, we, we could have that whole discussion over whether all deleted scenes are canon or whether most of them are canon or only some of them. I don't know. But uh, it's something interesting to consider anyways. What is... I think the last deleted scene, we see Jim take what is presumably Dwight's entire desk phone <laughs> and submerge it in a Jello mix and then put it in the fridge. Um, cut to a meeting with Toby. Jim says, as a manager, I felt like I couldn't do that. Toby says, please don't make a habit of it, <laughs> Jim. 
I'm afraid I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite part about the way that scene is presented is after Jim puts the the jello into the fridge, it's zoomed in on his face like it's a talking head when he says, as manager, I felt I couldn't do that. And then we zoom out to reveal that he's probably being out. reprimanded <laughs> by Toby for doing this. <laughs> yeah. It's a great like pullback mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. So you've got our uh, discussion topic. Yes. Um, I've actually got two, just because why not? Uh, the first is Ryan and his involvement in this diabolical plot. Uh, I was watching this episode and Ryan brings up the idea of putting Jim through Saw. Like the psychological torture in Saw. Obviously, we don't kill him, but we find an abandoned warehouse and make him live through this scenario, which is pretty dark. I don't know how seriously we mm-hmm. can take him. And so my, my question is, does Ryan really have the proper motivation to be this opposed to Jim? And do you think he was even partially or remotely serious about this saw suggestion had Dwight been into it? Okay, part A, does he have the, the reason, the motivation to be this opposed to Jim? No. No. Jim, the only thing Jim did to Ryan was ask him to do his job. Mm-hmm. The only other thing would have been back in season four when they had that clash. Um, and then True. the immediate aftermath True. when Ryan was taken down and Jim kind of made fun of him for it. Yeah, that's true. But even then, is it worth putting somebody through a torture warehouse? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, I'm sorry, remind me the second half. um, Was he serious? The the saw suggestion, do you think if Dwight had been into it, Ryan would have been serious about that? I think he picked like the most gutsy thing he could think of. Maybe to be taken seriously by Dwight, maybe just to sound cool. I don't know. If Dwight had gotten on board, I don't know why I think think this, but I don't know that Ryan would have followed through. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I have good reason for believing that, other than just, I don't think he's a, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say maybe he's not a horrible person. Uh. <laughs> he's not a great person, so I don't know. <laughs> he's not great. Um, I, I don't know why I think he wouldn't follow through, but I don't think he would. Well, it's funny. You know, the saw suggestion is almost something you would expect more from Dwight anyways. Like if you think back to uh, mm-hmm. Kelly's birthday when they were coming up with theme suggestions, uh, Dwight said horse hunt or something like that. Like he's, he's the one with the out there mm-hmm. suggestions. But here Ryan is throwing an out there Dwight-like suggestion and Dwight's the one who shuts it down. Um, so maybe he was trying to appeal to Dwight and think, thought that Dwight would go along with it. But I, I agree with you. I don't think Ryan is a doer. I think he's a talker and just wants to mm-hmm. say things to maybe impress people. And uh, this yeah. just didn't go over the way he wanted it to. And so I don't think, had he been even kind of serious, I don't think he would have followed through with it. So right. anyways, there's that question. And the other one... Uh, oh, that what? Okay, cool. There's a part A and B and then a second Yeah, question. and then a second question. <laughs> and this is uh, about something different. So... Let's assume that Michael was happy as salesman. Okay, like he he, mm-hmm. he picked that position and he didn't mind the smells. He didn't mind that it was different than it was in the 90s. All that stuff is set aside. But he's still Michael in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Do you think 
he would have been successful as a salesman once again? Would he actually have benefited from the lack of commission cap? Or would he have wasted as much time as a salesman as he did as manager and basically squandered this opportunity? I mean, I think he would have succeeded because even though we don't have proof as to why his branch under his management tutelage was so successful, it was. Um, He managed to get the job done. And we knew that he was one of the most, if not the most successful sales men, salesperson, when he was a salesman. I don't know why that would change now. And we see that even in his very limited time as a salesman in this episode, which couldn't have been for more than a few hours, if it all took place in one day, he made a sale even in that short time period. Mm. So I think he would have been successful. Okay. I I was just curious because, you know, he's still Michael. And I think I agree with you. I think he would have been successful in time. But I think it would have taken a long adjustment period to get used to Jim being in charge. And I don't mean necessarily him resisting the way he does in the episode, because obviously that's leading back to him becoming manager again. But if um, he had been just like, okay, this is the way it's going to be and went along uh, with things and did work and all that kind of stuff, I think eventually after getting back into the swing of things, after getting a, a feel for how things are done, then yeah, he probably would have been a pretty good salesman once again. Because as we've seen, Michael, he has the skills. He can be a genuine people person. He's got techniques that are maybe unorthodox, but they work and we've seen them work. So I just thought it was an interesting sort of alternate timeline question. Like what if? Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, that is the end of episode 62. That was actually longer than I sort of expected it to be for a single episode. Yeah. Uh, But maybe that means it's a pretty good thing that we decided to split these so that we could dedicate a full episode worth to delivery next week. So. You can contact us, facebook.com slash workplacepod and at workplacepod on Twitter. If you would like to rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, we would certainly appreciate that. If you have any feedback or ideas, please email us. Or if you just want to say hi, workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady63 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And there's my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and all contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. If you want a shout out and more of an American workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level you think is most worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 62 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 63 for our discussion on the next episode of season six, The Delivery. Bye.